0: The retail sector says the government is missing out on up to $150 million a year in goods and services tax by not imposing it on all goods purchased online from overseas. Retailers say the untaxed competition is helping to send increasing numbers of stores to the wall. A launch at the Central Wellington store Unity Books. It's the fourth book by the author Kate de Goldie launched at the independent and multi-award-winning bookseller, and is just one in a series of events throughout each year the 45-year-old Unity takes part in.
1: Thank you for your Thank you. De
0: Goldie fans cluster around the author. The wine flows. There are speeches and accolades. The tills ring. A marketing and commercial. But Unity, like many bookshops throughout the country, has a fight on its hands. A tidal wave of cheaper books purchased from overseas websites is crashing across the border and threatens to sweep away the domestic bookselling sector. But it's not just bookshops under threat. The viability of all retail high streets is potentially at risk. I'm Penny Mackay, and in this insight, I look at how electronic retailing, in all its forms, is changing the way consumers shop.
2: When you work nine to five, quite often I find I don't really have time to go into stores and try on things and stuff. It's just so much more convenient, just sort of browsing the stores whenever I please on my time. You, you don't have over to do on a Sunday. look nice, you just do it. You sort of thing? your pyjamas.
0: The internet has brought a world of product into our homes with just a click of a mouse, and tech-savvy New Zealanders are wholeheartedly throwing themselves into it. I hate stores mm.
2: so yeah. much. I'd much rather shop online because they're just cramped and they listen to bad music. And, and you never know, know what the
0: girls useless. are thinking. Yeah. yeah, they just sit around talking. They don't actually help you. Like It's so much easier to look at 100 items on a page on a website. The accounting firm PricewaterhouseCoopers Coopers and their counterparts in Australia, Frost and Sullivan, released their second joint report into online buying in July last year. And what it found was
3: over half of New Zealanders are now buying online, and interestingly, they're spending you know nearly one thousand seven hundred dollars online every year which is um, obviously um, pretty significant. The PwC
0: partner looking at the retail and consumer sector, Julian Pryor, says 35% of that represents purchases from offshore websites. He says the growth in online shopping is phenomenal. This will
3: grow by just under 15% for each of the next um, four years. So really the fastest uh, growing channel in retail at the moment. And it'll be continue to be a range of goods, so we obviously see books and DVDs continuing to grow, technology, footwear, clothing, fashion accessories. You
0: know, While purchases from overseas are still a mere 2% of all retail sales in New Zealand, in some areas its impact is already so great that combined with a lingering economic downturn, some businesses say it's pushing them over the cliff.
4: It's like having another shop in another street in your town. Bruce
0: say, McArdle owned Vic Cycles old. in Lower Hutt for 22 years. Last October he closed up, selling his home to help pay debts. He says offshore websites were a significant contributor to the demise of his business.
4: They probably were doing you know, as much damage as another shop would do to your level of business. People would bring in parts to have fitted to their bikes that they'd purchased online from other sources rather than just buying it through our shop. They'll come in and I'll have a look, they'll find what they, they want, maybe get the right advice and then, then go home and, or, or just go out to the cafe and get on their smartphone and just find it at the best price they can. In the end, sales have dropped about 20 20 to 30% uh, from our peak at, in the mid-2000s.
0: High Street music stores disappeared as music became accessible directly from the internet. The co-owner of Unity Books, Tilly Lloyd, says some of the independent bookshops are managing to do okay, and some are doing nerve-wrackingly badly. A good half of us
1: actually have websites and do online selling and do the occasional tweet and keep our Facebook pages reasonably fresh. And, you know, we're doing all the neo-capitalist things that you're meant to do to stay afloat. Um, And we have a good time with that and, you know, it's perfectly... Um, sensible to be part of it but actually the market demand is less than it was that's the simple fact of the matter no matter what you're doing um, and how much promotion you're involved with whether it's advertising in the local newspaper or doing radio reviews or just commenting in the media on an issue the appetite on the street
0: is reduced And here is the problem. I can buy a copy of this bestseller at this high street store for 39 95 But here at home, on my computer, I can get the same book from an overseas website for half that price. And the finger is being pointed at what some say are the unequal costs of doing business.
4: Goods and services tax, $750.
0: GST and other costs levied on one parcel of imports, but not the next.
4: Airline freight surcharge, $64. War risk surcharge, $8.86.
0: Goods entering New Zealand that have a value of less than $400 don't incur customs duty or goods and services tax, but products valued $400 and over attract a whole range of charges. Delivery cartage, $75. And I will
5: announce the winner. The winner of the Pokeroa Oroafata Holdings Retail Business Award is... McLeod's... Pukiroa.
0: Fraser Newman manages the 117-year-old Macleod's booksellers in Rotorua. He says the award-winning business has lost about a third of its income to offshore sales, and the government not collecting GST on all incoming books is making a tough financial environment even harder.
6: No matter how much we cut our costs, we'll always be forced to be 15% more expensive because that's the tax in between. Overseas, no tax here. Tax straight to the government. What we would like to have at least investigated would be having a 15% GST charge put on foreign transactions through credit, the credit cards. There's only one or two clearinghouses in New Zealand, so it's all centralised. Um, it's not an issue where hundreds of different people have to get involved.
0: Welcome to New Zealand Health Association, speaking with Kathleen. The Chief Executive of the Retailers' Association, John Albertson, calls the government's decision not to collect GST legalised tax avoidance.
7: If a government is going to take a position of taxing consumption, then they should tax all consumption. Um, The fact that we're subsidising offshore retailers, which is basically what the government's doing, to the tune of probably at the moment somewhere around about $100 to $150 million a year as the lost GST, uh, it is significant and growing at a rapid rate. At the moment there's about, in round numbers, about $3 billion worth of goods bought online and about a billion of that's coming in from offshore. Carry the growth projections of 12% out to, say, 2020, you could be talking 4 or $5 billion coming in from offshore. You do the numbers on that and we're starting to talk really significant amounts of GST. The key to it, though, is how do we collect it efficiently?
0: And that issue of how to collect GST on every item ordered electronically is at the heart of the debate. The Minister of Customs, Maurice Williamson, describes the government's problem.
5: If somebody had a a, a quite a minor article, a $30 something come through, and you were going to be collecting $4.50 of GST, the bureaucracy of having to follow through with that person, make sure they get the payment and account for it somehow, or or even hold it at the airport, then make them come out to some collection point and pay their $4.50, and all of the transactional costs associated with it and the staffing and manpower associated with it. It could probably be a 20 or $30 processing cost for a return of getting your $4.50.
0: He says the credit card idea also has its drawbacks.
5: It's a particular issue that's being explored again about how we might have the overseas uh, retail outlets that charge the, the the GST. But remember, in another jurisdiction, they've got no obligation to do that for the government. They might just say, you know, wave their finger in the air and say we're not doing this on your behalf, we're not a tax collector.
0: But the Minister says the Government is always looking at ideas of what it can do.
5: There are a lot of suggestions, I mean we've had a list of things that were suggested and that was working with offshore retailers to get them to collect the GST or duty requiring financial intermediaries to collect the GST or duty online through the transaction. So even have a transaction data file so that you can only buy going through a portal, and that intermediary clips the ticket and charges your card. Um, some sort of a self-assessment of the GST duty and getting people to, to to actually you know make the payment themselves. They're all good ideas in theory and dreadful ideas when it comes to the practice.
0: Morris Williamson says the world of e-commerce is changing so fast, so dramatically, the issue for retailers today could be completely different in another 12 months. Undeterred, Booksellers New Zealand wants to get evidence to pressure the government to act, as its chief executive, Lincoln Gould, explains.
8: We've just set up a research project with Victoria University of Wellington with the help of the IRD to do two things. One, to see if we can quantify uh, the amount of retail business that's coming in by purchasing online, particularly books, but all retail. Secondly, to use that to inform us in our approaches to government about the fact that GST is not collected on imported retail goods. The government would love the GST, but
0: they say it's a problem with collection.
8: Yes, it appears to be, and with the Retailers Association, we've been working to try and identify an economic means of collecting that tax. But we we feel that we also need to know how much is involved here. We feel that we'd probably get more action from them if we were able to demonstrate that it was a few hundred thousand dollars that they were missing out on.
0: Booksellers New Zealand has also done a deal with a provider of e-readers that are to be sold in New Zealand's bookshops to try to fight the dominance of big overseas websites selling e-books direct. But the retail challenges faced by bricks and mortar outlets is ever-growing. Hi and welcome to The Shopping Channel. I hope you are having a fantastic day. The 24-hour shopping channel launched in October last year. Its chief executive, Alistair Duff, says the rise in the popularity of e-commerce meant the time was right.
9: The channel itself is just the front window of a shop. The actual business is around e-commerce and getting people to a store and our e-commerce platform is, is a store. So we want to compete when, think, when people are thinking about what they want to buy, we want them to come to the shopping channel and really that's what the business is about because New Zealanders, as as they become time poor and they know what they want, it's really easy to go into an e-commerce platform, have it delivered to your door, you know, and that's actually the way we all consume now.
0: Mr Duff explains the shopping channel sometimes competes with high street retailers and sometimes works in concert with them.
9: With the shopping channel, they're having a really good understanding of what that product can do. So they can buy immediately, or some people still want the ability to touch and feel it. we found that actually, that products that have been on the shopping channel, their sales have grown not only on the shopping channel but also in the other sales channels that they have, whether that be retail, their own website. So we're just part of the mix.
0: And surfing in from across the Tasman is the shopping club Brands Exclusive, which claims to have gathered two million Australians as members after just two years in operation. Its co-founder, Daniel Jarosh, also claims Brands Exclusive helps drive consumers into stores.
10: Brands Exclusive sends an email every day from a brand to about 2 million people. So if we put uh, Tom Ford sunglasses on our email, there's about 2 million people that see this email. Of these 2 million people, there is a small percentage that actually buys the product. Let's say... 5,000 people then buy the the sunglasses. There's about 1.9 million people and some more that see the offer. So it is a huge marketing channel. And research has shown in France, in Germany, in Spain, and we have conducted the same research in Australia, that 62% of all members that miss out on a deal go into a store to buy the product.
0: And as yet another sign of the increasing complexity of the retail market, Mr Jarosch hopes the growth of brands exclusive in Australia will apply to New Zealand.
10: The first year we've, we've grown something like 800%, and the second year was something like 600%. Um, then the third year we doubled the business again. So we know sort of what to expect, what kind of penetration we can look at. And we estimate that about 10% of the population will be a member of Brands Exclusive in two years.
0: John Albertson from the Retailers Association says how far online shopping can go is anyone's guess.
10: Nobody
7: believes for a moment that it's going to take over the world. People still love to go out and shop. There is still a social thing about it. As an activity, it it will survive. It's a matter of how much is going to go into the online space now. My pick is that we, we could end up at 15%, it could go higher. You know, I, I can't see it going much more than 20% of the market. But you know, who knows, I, you know, my crystal ball's no better than anybody else's.
0: But Tilly Lloyd from Unity Books ponders if even a 20% stake in the market will be enough to gut the high street.
1: Remember even 10 years ago what the central business district meant? The hottest, latest, most expensive, right up there, zeitgeist stuff. Plus all the lawyers and banks and everything like that. But from a shopping point of view, the centre of town was where you got the best stuff. And as more and more independent shopkeepers find it harder and harder to keep their posse, they're going to gradually disappear. And so there's going to be a point, I think, where people are really going to have to say, Well, they're going to have to wonder whether the street matters or not. Otherwise, they'll just end up with a string of bars. But maybe that's what people want.
0: Certainly in Rotorua, shopping mall development, the global financial downturn and online offshore sales have combined to empty out the central business district, leaving it with more than 90 vacant shop sites. The Council's Group Manager of Economic and Regulatory Services, Mark Rawson, is in charge of a three-year, $100,000 project to re-energise the CBD, but perhaps significantly focusing on hospitality.
5: We certainly are looking at it as a chance to create perhaps a more diverse environment um, than we may have had before and definitely different to what a retail environment may have been 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and even 5 years ago. Where we see our CBD going is more of an entertainment zone that is related to servicing more of the recreational type uh, activity and or visitor activity, creating an, an fresco dining environment and turning it into a total pedestrian eating environment that will be covered utilising geothermal
3: for heat.
0: The managing director of the Ruby Fashion Boutiques, Christine Sharma, says if the popularity of shopping with overseas websites grows, a high street
2: devoid of innovation will emerge. They have an amazing choice online and that's great but um, if they continue to only buy online then those cute little independent stores that New Zealand has always been known for is going to gradually die out and with that we'll lose our individuality and our creativity and the biggest fear that I have is that we will end up like what has happened in Australia and each shopping environment will become cookie cut and it will be chain store and it will be basically a very sterile experience. At least one New Zealand
0: designer is taking seriously the fight against the growing influence of the big overseas websites.
11: They do approach you with a certain manner of what we want goes, so it's not a two-sided kind of conversation. It's definitely one-sided. So
0: The Auckland uh, leather goods company, power, Deadly Ponies, has made the deliberate done decision done not to join forces to for now with no overseas internet retailers, say, even though a number have approached. Its designer, Liam Bowden, explains why.
11: It's all about, I guess, the things that we think are important to our brand and our products, like uh, handmade, the fact that it's quality, Uh, So if you put our bag next to a bag that's made out of vinyl, in store it's very apparent which one is better quality, um, the finishing. However, online it's very hard to, to see those differences.
0: Liam Bowden believes the overseas sites are just about quick turnover and making money.
11: There's no investment in the brand and in growing it and us growing together. It's more margins and getting it in and getting it out as quickly as possible. So for us, when we sign on to a store or a new stockist, we're all about growing with that store and trying to educate their customers on what we do and how it's different. And we find that physical stores as opposed to online stores are a lot more interested in
0: doing that. Christine Sharma says it's that dedication to quality and novelty
2: that makes New Zealand fashion retailing so appealing to Australians. An interesting thing that has happened in the last sort of 10, 15 years is that we all used to jump on a plane, get really excited. We're off to Sydney for, you know, weekend shopping and have all these great opportunities to purchase things you could never get here. Now what's happened is the wheel has turned and the Australians have been coming here because they have got bored with their choices that they now have because they have lost their little individual boutiques and we need to learn from what has happened in their retail environment. It's quite nice to have someone telling you how you look in it. Like they'll give you, most of the time, a reasonably honest opinion. They do go, actually, I like this dress better than the blue one.
0: Perhaps retailers' hopes that good service and product knowledge will help them survive is warranted. In Britain, where in some towns up to 30% of shop sites are empty, independent shops are making a small comeback. According to the British Retailers Association, during 2011, 2,500 more independent shops opened than closed. At her book launch, the children's author, Kate de Goldie, says as a reader and writer, independent bricks-and-mortar bookshops win hands down. They know my tastes, they will do anything
1: for
6: me as a reader, and they're also deeply committed to um, New Zealand literature. And they hand-sell books. You know, I know that the, the success of
0: the 10pm question was greatly due to the hand-selling by independent booksellers. Bruce McArdle of Vic Cycles says his former customers may have saved by buying online, but will be worse off in other ways.
4: What we offered on the, the, the you can't get on the net, it was a seven-day-a-week service. Get a puncher on a Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock when you're out on, the, on your family bike ride, and we were there. You know, you could crawl in and we, we'd fix it on the spot and you'd be on your way again. But um, we've gone, and the likes of our businesses and, and our business model might be there
0: anymore. Unable to compete on price and confident that a computer cannot yet tell a customer that a pair of jeans fits well, many stores are combining an online presence with an improved physical shopping experience. Even Wellington's grand old lady, Cacordian Staines, has jumped into e-tailing with the launch of its new website at Christmas. But for visitors to its store on Lambton Key's Golden Mile, it's the ultimate shopping experience. Indeed, in 2011 at one department store of the year in a national Roy Morgan customer satisfaction poll and it hopes to do the same for 2012. From the doorman in his top hat and tails, could you point me in the direction of Mr Milford's office, please?
9: If you'd like to go to the end of the corridor and ask at our reception desk.
0: Lovely. Thank you. To the sparkling Christmas shop, Kirk's has been a destination for 150 years for those in need of retail therapy. And yet it too is struggling against the recession and the onslaught of overseas product. Kirk's Managing Director John Milford is in the midst of a cost-cutting program.
8: What we've got to do at Kirk's is get costs lined up, which means we've got to pay the right rent. It means that we've got to have the right amount of space. The other thing is that we won't compromise on service because the one thing that Kirk's can, the one point of difference, is that retail experience.
0: Julian Pryor from PricewaterhouseCoopers says to compete, retailers will have to be very flexible, practising what he calls consumer adaptive retailing.
3: Before online came along, goods would be in store and you just put them in a carrier bag and walk out. Now, you know, I could research online. Um, I could decide to buy online but not pay. Um, I could decide I, I would like to pay in store. I could have it delivered to my home address. I could have it delivered to my work address. Um, I could go to a store and pick it up. I may not like what I buy or it might not fit, so I could return it to store. I could return it through the post. So there's so many variables and permutations now that the retailers have to cater for.
0: John Albertson of the Retailers Association gives this example. It sounds almost slightly indecent, but I know there are
7: a number of overseas fashion stores where basically they have 360 degree cameras in the fitting rooms. So you can try something on, you can photograph yourself, you can send it on your phone to your mate and say, how do I look in this? All that kind of stuff is there as added value. We've got to get back to making a value proposition rather than a price proposition.
6: We are in a bit of a shambles today. We're moving all of our winter styles back to the...
0: Leading the way in consumer adaptive retailing is the shoe designer, Catherine Wilson. Online's becoming really
6: important to our business. Obviously, it's, um, it's got potential to go even further than what any bricks and mortar store could or possibly do. Um, even
0: though people can't try shoes on before they buy
6: yeah, well, I think we have a seven-day return policy, so we're you know it's really easy for someone to pop them back in a courier pack and we'll send them out the next size. A lot of our customers are probably repeat customers that have been loyal to us over the nine years, ten years, so they know their size and um, are quite comfortable to buy them online. Or they might have tried them on in a store. We've got 120 stockists across New Zealand and Australia, so they might have tried them on and then thought about it and then really want them so they have found them later. I think people still appreciate the touch, the feel, the the experience of coming to see and try on the shoes and the staff, the knowledge that the staff have and can give you when you're in the store. But, um, yeah, it's been really interesting for us to
0: watch it grow. Kirk's managing director, John Milford, is also upbeat about the future, saying a number of overseas website retailers are adopting what's called a global pricing strategy with the product more or less the same price
8: everywhere. I can give you an example, the Ted Baker Men'swear brand, which comes out of the UK, last season men's suits were $1,500 we were selling them for here. This season we're selling them for
0: $7,95. Why should brands like Ted Baker adopt a global pricing strategy? Why can't they just sell cheaper from a big warehouse in the
8: UK? Well, because a number of brands recognise that they also need an experience in their country they're selling. They need somewhere where customers can go and physically try clothes on, physically see the fabric, because they can sell more. What we're doing is we're exposing it in the local market as well as them trading online. And if you've got product on the ground, you're still getting a far greater exposure.
0: Fraser Newman of Macleod's bookshop in Rotorua says to survive in the future, retailers will need to be full of the unexpected.
6: Retail environments really have to change. It's no longer just a matter of putting products in a room and hoping people buy them. They have to start thinking about high-end. People want to be able to come in here and find things they don't know about. If they come in here and find things that they they expect to find, then they might as well just go online and find them there. Um, So it's all about surprises, it's about customer service, it's about quality, it's about expertise. So the the quality assurance that when they go in here, come in here, get advice, they, they know what they're getting and they can trust that it is the right decision.
0: And the belief that the need for advice and expertise will underpin the survival of bricks-and-mortar shops could be well-founded. The British Empty Shops Network says that despite the global financial downturn, the internet and a whole host of predictions, during 2011, 85 new music shops opened their doors. I'm Penny Mackay, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Jeremy Veal.